so I was not working on anything else, but I was getting deep into the business and spending a lot more time than I normally would on a project of that scope to really understand what I was doing mm-hmm. and get to the heart of the problem that I was trying to solve as a copywriter. And that paid off. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Welcome back to The Truth About Marketing. It's Kevin Rogers here. My guest today is Dan Ferrari. If you haven't heard about Dan, uh, you'll never forget him after this call. Dan has come on the scene of direct response copywriting like Prince writing a Pegasus. His work has been acknowledged and celebrated from many of the greats like Ken McCarthy and Gary Bensavenga, and the dude's only been at the gig for about three years now, which is staggering. Uh, so he's obviously had a very tremendous run here, and he's uh, you know worked with some big publishers, and he's uh, now an in-demand freelance copywriter. So, uh, Dan, thanks for being on the call. Really excited to hear more of your story today. Well, thanks for having me, Kevin. Really excited to be here. Yeah, brother. This will be fun. Uh, you know, I always say that when it comes to copywriters, just about every successful copywriter I know, they kind of got good fast, right? If, if you find this gig and it makes sense for you, things tend to just click. Uh, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody get so good so fast as you. I mean, you just, you didn't stop at like good level. You got to great pretty fast. Um, what, you know, was there a moment where you were like, you know, oh, damn, like I'm getting, I'm really good at this. I mean, was it, was it obvious to you or like all writers is, is there a you know, tad of imposter syndrome lingering still there? Um, I think the answer to that question is kind of on both sides, you know, to address the latter part first, the imposter syndrome comes about just about every time I start a new project, you know, mm. is this going to be the one where everyone finds out that I don't know what I'm doing? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but to go a little bit further back into history, um, the first control I wrote for The Motley Fool was right around doing this for about two years. And at the time, I didn't necessarily grasp how much of an accomplishment that was. And then a little bit later, as I got further into that business, I became privy you know, of some of the test results that they had done in the past and kind of A-list copywriters who had come in and tried to do the same thing and had failed. Hmm. And, you know, that's kind of an eye-opener when you see that people who you look up to have tried to do the same thing that you just did and they couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I had to sort of like pinch myself a little bit and be like, whoa, that's crazy. I don't even know how that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, how long were you at it? Well, let's go back to like what you did. Maybe I'd love to hear the process. You know, so many people talk about, you know, hand copying ads and, and doing all these things to really fast track their success as a copywriter. But, you know, that people could end up doing that for years and nothing else. What, what was your process like to get to the point where you were actually writing stuff that was getting implemented? 
Uh, well, it was probably just being obsessed to a certain extent. Um, when I first started this, everything that you just mentioned, you know, I was hand copying ads for a few hours a day. I was subscribed to every email list there was. So I was reading another, who knows, 10 to 15 marketing emails a day. And then on top of all that, I was studying the great texts that everyone recommends you read, breakthrough advertising, tested advertising methods, um, and then also writing. And that's obviously the most critical part of that equation because you can take this stuff in yeah. for, you know, the end till the end of time. And if you're not actually writing to sort of create that feedback loop about what you're grasping and what you're missing and how to sort of fill the gap between the two, you're just you're always going to be at square one and you know the more writing you can do the more feedback you can get and the more rapidly you can iterate your own process and your own results is you know i think that's what makes the sky the limit is just that constant process of iteration yeah right you know a lot of uh, new freelancers will say yeah but i don't have anything to write about like nobody's hiring me what do i how do i write with purpose yeah um so the Kind of a funny story there is I was literally at the bottom of the barrel when I started this because I didn't have any experience freelancing and I didn't have any experience copywriting. Hmm. So in addition to not knowing how to write copy, I had no idea how to get, <laughs> right. get a client. Yeah, And I didn't have a job at the time. So, you know, the I had to feed myself essentially. So what I did is I just started writing basically ads on spec for products that I sort of made up. Um, the first one that I wrote is I, I had a long history of competitive powerlifting and I had stumbled across a couple strategies to get my lifts up when I was doing that, that I always thought, you know, like I could teach this sort of thing and people would kill for it. Mm. So I just sort of created those as conceptual products in my head and then wrote sales letters based on them. And that was kind of the first stuff that I used to, pitch the first couple clients you know there's there's nothing to it i just sat down and <laughs> decided that's what yeah. what i was gonna do i didn't actually produce the product so it was right. an instant an instant win for me yeah that's great no that's really smart and that's kind of what i tell people is like i mean you go to clickbank and write about anything that's in that marketplace yeah right? there's endless products there and you can look at their copy and their testimonials and say how would i take the same material and you know, make my own sales letter about it. And then at least you're having to do the critical thinking part about how to create what your copy would look like. Yes, exactly. I think the critical thinking part of it about turning some of these things into your own voice and your own approach is where, you know, that gap is closed that I talked about a few minutes ago. Right. And so then what was it like once you finally did get hired? Um... The first few months of this whole process were kind of filled with rose-colored glasses. You know, I was – I didn't think I grasped how hard copywriting was at the time. So I was just like, okay, like I've been hired. I'll just go write this. Hmm. And then I remember the first result that I actually got where the client came back and said, hey, I tested this and you didn't do too well. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of a slap – in the face and a little dose of reality that yeah. okay you can't just start copywriting and all of a sudden you're world class and you know that goes back to the imposter syndrome that we've 
both just related on is it, it never goes away because this is a hard career and I know you agree with me when I say that you just have to be stubborn mm-hmm. um, you know you got to have a thick skin and you got to view the things that don't go so well as learning experiences and definitely in the early days that's the approach that I took and it's st- stuck with me this entire time and it's definitely been an asset mm. and so then you uh, were working at uh, at Motley Fool was that pretty early in your career was that kind of your first steady gig or there's some freelance gigs before that yeah so there was about a year of i wouldn't call it steady freelancing it was attempted steady freelancing Hmm. but that first year was just sort of bouncing around from industry to industry project to project and taking almost anything i could and then i sort of stumbled into the motley fool stuff on accident they happened to be hiring for a full-time in-house writer and at the time I was in Alexandria, Virginia, where my ex-girlfriend was working in the building that was literally right next to the Motley Fool. Wow. <laughs> and I had no idea That's wild. where they were. I mean, I'd have, obviously I had seen their copy before, mm-hmm. right? And I knew that it was world-class, but beyond that, I didn't know anything about the company. And then, you know, serendipity kind of stepped in. There it was. And they gave me a couple of freelance contracts before making the in-house uh, hire. Hmm. Cool. And then, so well, obviously, with location, that's usually the big barrier, but there you were. Yeah, I mean, it was just a stroke of luck. I don't, I don't know where that came from, but wow. thank God for it, because it was just the tremendous part of my career, and I can't be grateful enough for the opportunity. Yeah. And then, so, you had a lot of success there. Was that pretty quick, or does that, would that take a lot of trial and error? Um. So, the... The first package that I wrote for them did 18 sales, uh, which is a not just, their goal. Yeah, horrible <laughs> failure to put it lightly. And that was on a freelance contract, so I'm actually I was very fortunate mm. that they must have saw something in your writing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I see this conversation going back and forth between freelancers and business owners all the time, and. I think both sides are have to kind of meet in the middle and for the business owners like the Motley Fool to give a freelancer who they just paid a lot of money to mm-hmm. a second chance when he didn't produce says a lot about the willingness to invest in finding talent. Right. And then, you know, the the willingness on my side was to stick with them and learn the business um, to really deep dive into it so that, you know, I could move up from that 18 sales and it worked out for both sides of the you know both sides of the table here because after that poor first showing i think i went on to write something like four or five controls in a row wow and you know <laughs> each one of those is was worth many 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 times what they pay me to do it so um you know you and Brian Kurtz have been talking recently about the value of these deep relationships between copywriter and client right and to whatever extent that I was sort of a prototype for that in this situation, I mean, it was 100% the best decision I ever made. And, you know, the the results that I got for the fool would indicate that it, you know, not cutting me loose after that first failure was a great decision on their part. Right. And I, I just think that that's something that I'll continue to do is I don't see myself working 
you know, one-off projects very frequently because it's really hard. I mean, you have to get in there and learn the business and it takes time. Um, after that first failure with the fool, I was still on freelance with them. So I essentially ate into my own profit margins to take an extra long time to write that second control. Um, so I was not working on anything else, but I was getting deep into the business and spending a lot more time than I normally would on a project of that scope to really understand what I was doing mm-hmm. and get to the heart of the problem that I was trying to solve as a copywriter. And that paid off. Yeah. See, you just said something important right there, which is just your level of dedication for getting it right. You know, a lot of people get a kick in the nads like that and have something just tank. And it's, you know, they, they, they take that as their, cue to exit the business <laughs> and you know uh, that's the difference between the greats and you know there's just like all right you know uh, obviously i've got a lot to learn here and i'm going to keep at it and at the w- willingness to sacrifice your own income or do whatever it takes to get to the next you know uh promo and hopefully get that control and then to nail four or five in a row i'm sure there's people out there who had four or five in a row failures, maybe not with one company. I don't think they'd put up with that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, certainly maybe for, for entrepreneur clients or something. Um, so let's talk about, you know, that I appreciate you bringing up the Kurtz thing because Brian and I just recorded another follow-up uh, uh, podcast about it, uh, you know, based on all the responses his article got. This is a really important conversation because, you know, the the, the old model is sort of dead, I think, of – like you said, for, for both parties, it just doesn't make sense to come in, spend a month getting to know an industry and a company and an offer, and then another month or so writing the package uh, and hoping it works. And uh, even if it's you get paid 50K for that, no one's getting rich there. And if it doesn't work, the company sure hates paying that much money for, uh, for a sales letter that didn't work, right? So it's just not a productive scenario. What, what has been your experience um, at, you know, working with the company in regards to just sort of having the freedom to, to grow and to really deep dive into that one industry and niche? It's exponential. Um, you know, you get in there and every hour that you put in, so to speak, into that sort of deep dive, it just makes you so much better for the next thing that you're going to attempt to do. Mm. Um, you know, it, the other thing about those four or five controls that I wrote is I think each one did better than the last. So if that's any indicator of how much just spending every day as an employee working inside the business, yeah. I learned about it and I learned how to fit my copywriting into what that business was doing in terms of who their gurus were, what the brand was, the voice that was resonating with their customers Mm -hmm. and how the the unique type of products that they have fit with that, that voice and the customer that was responding to that voice. It's just, it would have been impossible to figure out in, in two or three months. Yeah. And yet you did ultimately decide to end that agreement and kind of move on as a, as a, as a freelancer. And, what led to that decision? Um, 
that decision was mostly based around me wanting to move back to Hawaii, ah. to be completely <laughs> frank. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and fine. And, you know, I mean, at that point, I had client potential clients coming to my to my doorstep, so to speak, and mm -hmm. saying, like, well, we'd like you to do the same thing for us. And it's like I said a few minutes ago, like, I don't have any intention of being a one-off mm -hmm. copy shop is whichever client relationships I enter into, they're going to be that deep dive variety because you're just making it harder on yourself if you if you don't have that mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, how much do you need to know before you should apply to a business like that or a publisher? I mean, do you find that they're accommodating to newer, you know, I've heard for instance, Brian and I talked about that money map is you know, they, they want to create or they maybe already have created a scenario where any copywriter that comes into their business uh, has got to spend a couple of years doing research before they ever get to write. Now, if Dan Ferrari comes to their company, I don't think they're going to make you sit in the research chair for two years before they get to see your, your, your work. But uh, do you find that that's, uh, you know, kind of a protocol that uh, are companies out there eager to develop? talent or are they just really looking for the hired gun i think it goes both ways um i think a lot of it kind of depends on where where that business is in terms of their staffing i mean if you look at somebody like money map they have a a team of very very accomplished in-house writers mm -hmm. so you know they probably have a sufficient amount of production of very world-class copy so it's worth their time to put somebody through sort of that developmental program, whereas a business that maybe had its back against the wall didn't quite have the copy that they needed to move the needle in their business. And that's another important thing is that, you know, a business that's doing 20 or $50 million is going to have a lot harder time moving the needle. So they might need to go and find somebody who's already yeah. been in the trenches for years and has a track record, whereas a company you know, much earlier in their life cycle can probably get by by just developing somebody as their main copywriter. Right. Yeah. But either way, the benefit is, like you said, exponential on both sides. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, well, cool. Well, Dan, uh, you know, the essential question of the show and, you know, really excited to hear your answer because uh, as we've discussed, it's not, this is not you out marketing your own products, but really getting under the hood of your clients uh, business offers and industry. So Dan Ferrari, what is the one thing you've done in your marketing that has produced the most surprising results? Yeah. I mean, and my answer to this is essentially a continuation of what we just talked about. And it's really thinking about each project I take on from a product perspective first. And what I mean by that is, my ideal situation would be to have a, my client come to me and say, hey, we have this idea for a product and we want you to take part in the development of the product and helping us give the guru his voice and things like that so that I can be in there kind of tinkering with their products from a sales perspective. Mm -hmm. And then stepping back from that once it's ready to be promoted, I've made my job way easier by just – giving the audience a product that's differentiated and that is actually 
you know, set up to sell as opposed to just the opposite of that would be a client that comes in and says, hey, we have this product, you need to sell it. And I have no validation as to whether anyone wants it or if they're marketing in the places where the people who want it even exist. And, right. you know, just I think a lot of my success has just been looking at product portfolios from a higher level and putting those together into consistent offers and funnels and things like that. And then, you know, it's, it's a much easier walk down the path as a copywriter when you do that. Mm. Yeah, great answer. Cool, man. I want to just quickly talk about the actual craft of writing, you know, beyond the the copy part of it, the persuasion, the sales, the features, the benefits. Uh, how, you know, do you write any fiction? You know, just as the Dan Ferrari, the writer, what what motivates you? Well, Dan Ferrari, the writer, is probably Dan Ferrari, the editor. Mm. Um, so my approach is pretty much, you know, I'll do my research and all of that. But once I start writing, I write. I don't stop. And if I get to a point where I need more research or something isn't clear, you know, I make a note or a comment right there in the copy and I just blast through it. Oh, because man. for me, that's the most stressful part is the actual creation. Yes. You know, that's when you'll see me and I kind of get into this antisocial funk where I'm just always in my head about what I'm trying to write. So I like to get out of that as fast as possible. Hmm. And then, then the editor comes out and that's, that's what brings me to life. I mean, I'm doing that on a project right now and it's really fun for me to just dive in and, you know, exercise my love for the English language and for putting these stories together in a logical way. And that's just, you know, the patience of where my mindset is as opposed to, having no patience for the writing part. <laughs> no, that's no, great. And, you know, again, good for you, man. That's a learned discipline. You know, that was my, that was my big Achilles as a freelancer was I, I could never get that first draft just out. Yeah, it is. I mean, what you said about it, the discipline of it is you just have to kind of force yourself to ride it through. Mm. Um, that was something that I originally learned from Andre Chaperon. He, he was big on that, you know, just, just write, 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 and then finish it up later. Mm. Yeah. It's ongoing practice. Yeah. <laughs> I can do it in email, but really tough. Right. Yeah. Now, a full... I don't want to sound self-righteous at all. I got cracked the code. <laughs> no, no. I struggle I, with it. Well, but... you, you mentioned the torture you feel when you're doing it. So <laughs> I always tell people, I go, it's, it must be the greatest thing ever to be a, a full-time freelance cop. I go, well, no one's whistling while they do it. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, well, great, Dan. This has been awesome. Really appreciate you doing this. I know it's going to be super inspiring to, you know, particularly the copywriters and the business owners. It'll be insightful. I hope you'll come and join Brian and I uh, when we, we're going to hold a hangout and talk more about this this topic. And it'd just be great if you could come on and share some of your wisdom. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Yeah, so why don't you leave us, if you would, with just, what could you say? I mean, so many freelancers, um, I'm sure in different parts of their career right now, uh, feeling like, man, I can't get anybody's attention. You know, what what are they missing? What's the one thing they should be doing that they're probably not? To get attention of people in this market, I think it's just down to having a track record and then, you know, being humble when you talk about it and just putting yourself out there, you know, networking and having results at the end of the day, 
it takes care of itself if you can do those two things. Very good. And speaking of networking, one last thing I want to mention. I was really I thought this was a beautiful story. Tell me about meeting Gary Bensavenga. Oh man! So I met Gary Bensavenga at the Titans event that Brian held um, in September of 2014, and the the story is more or less just out of the context of even something that would happen in reality. I got food poisoning the night before. That's right. Um, so I woke up the morning of the event and ended up being shuttled out of the hotel in, <laughs> in an ambulance. Wow. <laughs> Couldn't get out of bed. Mm. Um, so they bring me to the hospital and fix me up with IVs and all that. And it was about lunchtime that I was completely feeling back to normal. And I said, can you guys just let me go back to this thing that I paid all this money to go to? And they said, well, we can do blood work. I said, I don't need to blood work. Just discharge me. So, you know, I'm, I missed the first half of the morning, but I came in, it was probably about noon. Everyone was finishing lunch and coming back to their seats. And you know how these things work. People rush to the front of the room to get their seats. Mm-hmm. So when I got there, the only seat available was in the very back table. Well, the second to the table at the second to the end of the row and the very end table was reserved for the speakers. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I end up sitting right in front of Gary and his wife, Pauline, and at the first break, everyone is swarming the speakers and talking to them, and wife's, uh, Gary's wife was just sitting there you know, quietly by herself, so I just started talking to her. <laughs> and you know, that's, Sweet woman, by the way. Oh, just, she's, she's wonderful. The, yeah. the two of them are just angels. Yeah, they really um, are. So yeah, she, she liked what I had to say, apparently, and then she introduced me to Gary and you know, we kind of developed a little bit of a friendship after that. Wow. Another serendipitous thing, you know, I've been very lucky to kind of just stumble my way into some of these things. And then you gave him something. Yes. So I, um, I sent Gary a letter that was basically, so if you dig back into the history of direct marketing, there's a Gary Halbert letter where he talks about receiving a gold coin from Gary Bensavenga. Gary Bensavenga would send a gold coin once a year to somebody who left an impact on his life uh, at Thanksgiving time. So what I did was I sent Gary Bensavenga the hand-copied sales letter for the B100, his DVDs, which is, I don't know, (laughs) close to 100 pages long. Wow. So I hand-copied the whole thing, and then I attached a letter to the front that said, hey, um, Mr. Bensavenga, I just wanted you to know that you've had a tremendous impact on my career um your writing just resonated with me from the first day i saw it and i've been very open about saying that you know i've modeled myself after him Mm -hmm. and yeah you know it's just that little bit of little bit of gratitude went a long way it's beautiful it's a great story Uh, again it it, i think moments like that speak uh to why you're successful as much as your abilities and the things that you you know, the disciplines you've developed. So, uh, Dan, thanks for sharing all this. It's been a great episode, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Truth About Marketing podcast. If you like this show and you think other people would like this show, the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in iTunes. Just log in, click review, 
leave a big old fat five-star review and let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too. To get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode, please go to copychief.com forward slash T-A-M, as in truth about marketing. And if you'd like to uh, learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro, do all that on the inside of the members area of copychief.com, and I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.